Hi, Royals fans. This is J.J. Piccolo. The University of Kansas Health System is the official health care provider of the Kansas City Royals. Get the major league care you deserve at kansashealthsystem.com slash royals. Welcome to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes live in studio on this Tuesday evening. We'll be with you until 10 o'clock. Kyle is behind the glass. Big show, fun show. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest joining us at 715. Daniel Harms of RGR Football joins at 8. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry at 8.30, and then Briscoe at 9. A lot of Chiefs talk, a lot of talk as the Chiefs head into their bye, first in the AFC, sitting at 7-2, and and yet there are some underlying issues that we just can't talk enough about. First, Kyle, how are you doing, man? I'm ready to party. Are you ready to party, baby? Let's get after it. I I was listening to Kiss on the way in, okay? Mm -hmm. I was rocking out to Kiss. Favorite album? Dress to Kill. Dressed to Kill. I can see that. Hands down. <laughs> 1975. Masterpiece. As a child, as a tyke, I had those big old boom boxes. That huge thing, right? It's like 37 pounds. If it lands on your toe, you're having multiple broken toes. I had a cassette and a CD. Man, how old are you? 29. Wow. Wait, wait you think I don't... How old are you? I'm 25. Do you not remember cassettes or, I remember or CDs? Them. I never used them. Grow up, okay? <laughs> that was the future back then. You're telling me I didn't burn thousands of CDs? I even had the thing you could make a, a print on, so you could you, you could actually have like a photo on the CD, so you know which was which. Oh yeah, it was sweet. Wow. Oh cutouts. Oh baby, I did it all. Man, by by the time I got you know invested in music seriously, you know the iPod Shuffle had come out. I was set. Man, CDs were the future back then. They were the way. How are you supposed to to give your crush a a, a mixtape? Okay, you had to burn a CD in middle school. That was that was the way. Mm. Nowadays, if you do that, it feels like it's it's next level. You know what? Everyone listening right now, if you have a crush, <laughs> if there's a if there's a single high school kid listening, to her, if you want it to win her over, you burn a CD. You give it to her. Maybe she she breaks it in front of you and she says, "What the hell's this? I don't, I don't. Can I eat this? What what am I supposed to do with this? It looks like a like a donut." But maybe just maybe she she appreciates the effort you went through. Yeah, she's now, gonna ask, "How do I plug this in?" Yeah, now how 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 is she gonna listen to it? But it's the thought process, okay? It's the thought process. That's what I'm going for. Speaking of thought process, daylight savings time is brutal, man. It feels like midnight. It destroys my chance of playing golf anytime past, what, one thirty, And I know we did this for the farmers back in the day, right? Wasn't that the whole point of daylight savings time for the farmers to get up early, go tend the crops? You're shaking your head. I know you're 25. You have, have no, no idea. idea. Sorry for trying to be cultured here, Kyle. And don't get me wrong. I love Bush Light as much as the next guy, you know, for the farmers. But can we stop this nonsense? Like, seriously, I don't need it to be dark at 5 o'clock. Brutal. But you know what's not brutal? The Chiefs defense. 
I really want to talk about the Chiefs' defense. We'll talk about the offense and some of the the woes, the issues, uh, maybe some reason for optimism. We'll talk a lot all day with Matt Derrick, all evening I should say, with Matt Derrick, Daniel Harms, uh, Briscoe, and, and Nick Lowry as well. But my first thought on the defense, i got a couple stats I want to pull up and bring to you guys to, to show this is not a fluke, okay? The Chiefs' defense is second in points per game against, right? 15.9 points per game given up. They are fourth in yards per game given up, 288. This is while being 18th in opponents' red zone scoring, touchdown percentage, right? And they are 11th in takeaways. You know what this tells me? They're not relying on dominance in the red zone. They're not relying on turnovers. Two of the more fluky week-over-week metrics to actually count on, right? They're doing it dominating from goal line to goal line. It's a stifling defense at all levels. There's nothing that shows you this is going to revert down, revert back to what uh, might be an average defense or an above-average defense. All signs, quite frankly, actually point to this being a potentially better defense than we've currently seen. Again, that touchdown percentage number in the red zone, middle of the pack, when they're fourth, in yards, and second in points, if that bumps up a little bit, they're right there with the Ravens for the best scoring defense in the NFL. I was going to ask who was first, and I figured it was Baltimore. It, it was the Ravens, yeah. The Ravens are looking really good. But my point is, this is not a fluke. We kept saying, when is the shoe going to drop, right? We knew it was going to be a good defense. I even said it's probably going to be a top 10 defense when the season's over, right? Top 10. But you're looking at it now. This is top three, and it ain't three. This is a legitimately dominant, stifling defense. And you look back and wonder why. How did the Chiefs get to this point? How did they get to some of the struggles offensively while building such a complete defense? Through the draft and through free agency. First with free agency, the big signing obviously was Juwan Taylor. But let's talk about the two other signings, the two other bigger signings. It was Drew Tranquil where the Chiefs already had a position of strength. Linebacker, right? They had multiple second-round draft picks and a third-rounder. Leo the third, second-rounder Bolton, second-rounder Willie Gay, right? Why Why do you need an, another linebacker? You, you, you hardly use three as is. You, you, you run a lot of these sub-packages, dime, nickel. You, you don't use a lot of three-linebacker sets. You're not in your base 4-3 very often. But it was a great deal on a really good player. So the Chiefs and Brett Veach brought in Drew Tranquil. And you're seeing it pay off in dividends right now. The overall toll of the NFL. The attrition of a season. You can't count on everyone staying healthy. As great as it looked on paper, they thought, you know what, let's bring in one more body. One more guy who can do a little bit of everything. A Swiss Army knife. A guy who can be the green dot if, God forbid, something happens to Nick Bolton. Well, something happened to Nick Bolton. And what do you have? Drew Tranquil st- stepping in, looking electric, doing it. He was ranked top 15 last year in PFF pass coverage as a linebacker. He had five and a half sacks last year. He's getting after the quarterback. He's great in coverage. He can get downhill. Not quite the same as Nick Bolton because he's a little bit lighter. But he's getting the defense set, too. Huge signing, right? And then Charles Minahu, right? That, that was the big one. That was the, if you ask a lot of the analytical community, they all said, what was the most underrated signing? It was Charles O 
to Kansas City. They all said, give him more opportunity. Look at some of the underlying metrics that Charles has. He's poised to 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 burst, to, to explode. Now, I don't know if we've seen a lot of the sack numbers we were hoping for. Again, it's been a small sample size. He's a one and a half sack in, what, two games? He's batted how many balls down? Making an impact on how many plays? But again, those were the two big signings, and it was on defense. They also brought in smaller guys like, like, like Mike Edwards, for example, as well, right? The point is, the Chiefs have been focusing on defense for years now. That's just free agency this past offseason. What about the draft? I mentioned the linebackers with the second, second, and third, right? What about the first rounders? First rounder, Carl Loftus. First rounder, FAU. First rounder, Trent McDuffie. This been in what, second? On Brian Cook. Third round pick, I believe, but I'll confirm. The point is, the Chiefs have made an effort. They've made an effort year after year after year. They've spent resources, valuable, high-end resources on the defense. So while we're all a little surprised that the, the construction of this team, or should I say the results of this team, is a little different, like, for example, if I said one unit was ranked 12th in the NFL and the other was second, going into this year, you would automatically say the offense is second and the defense is 12th, and you'd say, well, hell yeah, I'll take that. Defense looking pretty good. The offense is 12th, 23.1 points per game. Defense giving up 15.9. In the past, we were begging the Chiefs defense to be middle of the pack. Now they are. This this version, this iteration of the Chiefs is like the Uno reverse card of every <laughs> Mahomes team that has been so far. But my, 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 It's a great point. But my, my point being, the overarching point here is maybe we should have seen some of this coming. The groundwork has been laid over the past few seasons, what have the Chiefs shown us in the draft? What have they shown us with their money in the offseason with the signings? A lot of it's been defense. Now, don't get me wrong. $20 million for a right tackle, Juwan Taylor. They brought in Donovan Smith as a left tackle. They um, spent a pretty pity on MVS a few years ago, although, again... Um, you look at what Jacoby Myers is doing this year in a very similar contract. You're sitting here going, I don't know, maybe maybe Jacoby would have been a better fit. But again, I, I, my point is there's been a couple second rounders, obviously, on Rasheed Rice, uh, eventually in the past, McCole Hardman, as well as Sky Moore. But recently, those first rounders and a lot of seconds, they've been spent on the defense. So maybe this shouldn't be as shocking from what we've seen so far. Maybe the fact that they are scoring seven more points than the opponent, it's still a good a good number. It's still a good thing. It's just done in a different way. And I've said for a while now, there are two ways to help Mahomes. I mean, there's obviously multiple ways to help Mahomes, but two, in my opinion, two main philosophies. You give him a bleep ton of weapons. You give him the best wide receivers, tight ends, offensive line, running back you possibly can but you have an atrocious defense because all of your resources are spent on one side of the football. That's 2018. What did Tom Brady and the Patriots do for so long? They focused on that defense. They gave Brady just enough weapons because guess what? Great quarterbacks can elevate wide receivers. You know what they can't do? They can't elevate the defense. So the thought process so far I think has been sound. Some of the results, though, have been lacking. And whether that, whether this result of the Chiefs not having the ability to identify talent, 
of not wanting to deal with uh, me-first players, George Pickens, potentially DK Metcalf, not having them fit the scheme, or not developing the guys. If you want to think about it in baseball terms here, right? Think about it as as far as pitchers. Cleveland Guardians in Tampa Bay, what do they do well? They identify talent in the draft for pitchers, and they develop talent for pitchers, and they haven't fit what they do best. They haven't fit their scheme. Brett Veach at every other position, right? He does this. He identifies talent, knows how they will develop here in Kansas City. He has the tools in place, and it works. They fit their scheme. But for some reason, at wide receiver, it's like the Kansas City Royals with starting pitching, right? It might even be the consensus guy. Like, think about it. It might even be the guy that everyone's, they're all applauding and saying, yep, that was the move. That was the right guy. And then what happens? Asa Lacey happens. At, at best, Asa Lacey. But at best, you're just a guy. And baseball's maybe a little bit harder overall. But something is wrong. There's a disconnect at wide receiver only. Brett Veach has done a great job. I'm not saying he's he, he he's a bust. I love him here in Kansas City, but my point here is there's a disconnect at wide receiver either identifying talent, developing talent, or getting the guys to fit the scheme. Because we have seen it time and time again. And, and for all the folks that say, okay, yeah, but you're not going to count like Cornell Powell, right? That's fair. But how many fifth rounders, sixth rounders, seventh rounders has, has he found at other positions that have had impacts on this team? Wide receiver has been the one spot that is lacking. Rasheed Rice is bucking that trend, but it's still a little too early to, to say that it's a, it's a lock. I mean, he's on pace for 750 yards, 725 yards. Really good season, especially by a rookie. Uh, it's not Chris Olave. That's uh, George Pickens had 800 plus last year. You know that that's not that's not the elite of the elite. I like Rasheed Rice. That's not my my point here. My point here is still there is a, a disconnect in regards to wide receivers in the Chiefs. We will take a quick break. Touching this more with Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Kyle playing an absolute banger. I love parents these days, right? Don't listen to rap music, all, the, all these bad lyrics. And then you listen to this song by Kiss. The song's called Lick It Up. If you don't know it, look up the lyrics. Um, High Horse? I got a little nervous. When Maybe I put this Step one in the Down. Great song. Hey, you know what? There was some nuance to this, okay? You had to really dive deep into figure out what he was talking about. Uh, we're going to talk now with Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, I am doing pretty well, Sterling, although I will lose all cool points with you when, when I say that I am not much of a Kiss fan. Why? How dare you? I, I think part of it is psychological because I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. So uh, when I was a kid, I don't know why, but Kiss advertised a lot in comic books. Mm. And so when I was a kid, I'd get a comic book, and I'd be like five years old, and I'd get to the back and have the ads in the comic books, because back in the day, all the comic books had ads, and you'd get to there, and then there would be a picture of Kiss. 
And nothing scared me more as a five-year-old than Kiss in the seventies. I had those some of some of those photos and album covers and photos from concerts gave me nightmares. I, I'm not going to lie, Matt. I'm the same way. I was terrified, not from comics. My dad had cutouts. Okay, he had the actual full-size cutout of Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. We had a Kiss pinball wow. machine, okay? We had the masks, okay? We had the, like, silicone masks that sit up. They were scary and realistic as hell. They were terrifying. He had the whole psycho circus. I think at one point I had to tell him to take it down. I'm like, Dad, that psycho circus, I don't know if you've ever seen the album cover, and it's terrifying. So I'm the same way as a kid, but in the opposite sense. I go, that's badass, Yes, it's scary, but it's also badass. Yeah, for me, it was just scary. It just gave me nightmares. So I'd be, I'd be just reading along with my little underdog comic or whatever it was, or Casper the Friendly Ghost, and then all of a sudden I'd see these scary masks and faces and everything, and I'd have a nightmare of some sort. So I, I just kind of always avoided Kiss, and then inevitably I will admit that regularly a song will come on and I'll be like, huh, that's a pretty good song. Who's that? Yeah. And a lot of times it's Kiss. Yeah. Well, speaking of nightmares, that's Andy Reid on third and one, right? That That's every Chiefs fan when Andy Reid gets to a third and one. And instead of trying to avoid, like you try to avoid Kiss, I think he tries to avoid third and ones because he has nothing in the playbook that actually works. Um, what is this mental block, this aversion to running something normal on third and one, fourth and one? What is happening here? You know, and it, it's an excellent point. And, you know, and my, my, my friend Nick Jacobs put up a video today, and you know, watching it and of, of that third and one play and the, looking at the all 22. It's like, it, on top of that, that defense, <laughs> I mean, there was no threat from the Dolphins defense that they thought that the Chiefs were going to run the football. I mean, there, you, could have, you could have run an RV up the middle against that Dolphins defense on that play. Uh, you could have, I mean, Patrick Mahomes could have probably gotten three yards on a quarterback sneak before somebody touched him. But that's not in the playbook, apparently. So, no, there's no threat. that They're going to run the football, apparently, so nobody's, nobody's playing against that. There were three people on Travis Kelsey on that play, so he, he wasn't getting the football. Um, it's a cycle. I, I feel like it is a psychological thing that, the, the Chiefs are just in their heads on that play call. They they inevitably call the wrong thing at the wrong time every time. They have no faith that the play is apparently going to work. So, I mean, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. I, mean, I feel like that, and Andy even was like, hey, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I'd run the football, you guys would have said, why did you take the quarterback in the Patrick's hands? And, you know, it is. It's a total catch-22. I mean, there's no way that Andy Reid can win. Because he can win if you pick it up when you get there and you see there is that much space to run. Hey, Patrick, you have a lot of times you call two plays, right? You can it and go to the second play. So what would you do? First play is whatever it is to Travis Kelsey. Second play, you can. It's a halfback dive with Pacheco. How is that not an option in that scenario, in that situation? This is what I don't understand, right? Because Mahomes is so good. He's so good at reading defenses. Let him call the plays and let him call two. And whatever he sees, whatever front he sees, let him either option in or option out. I, I feel like that has to be the easiest situation, easiest scenario here. I, I can't argue with Sterling. I mean, yes. I, and, and we know that Patrick has the ability to do that. Uh, you know, just I guess it's whether he wants to at times or if there are scenarios where, where Andy just like, that's what we're going to run here. 
Um, I mean, and and let's, let's let's be real. I mean, anytime Patrick gets the opportunity to throw the football, he's going to throw the football. Sure. So you know him checking checking out of a throw into a run. I mean, I can't imagine that ever happened. It's always going to be the other way. He's going to check out of a run so he can throw it. Yeah, an RPO so, turns into a PRO. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 against his DNA. So yeah, I can see why that's hard going the other direction. But you're right. I mean, you get up and you see a defense like that. I mean, you almost I, just fall forward. You don't even have to really run a quarterback sneak. Just just fall forward, and he would have been fine. He could have handed off the checko. He would have been fine. <laughs> How much of right this? That, is it the, was it Rutgers who ran that play over the weekend where the, the quarterback that just took the snap and they just handed it to the running back on the sneak and yeah 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 something like that. How much of this also is on the offensive line? Like, we understand, we talk about how good they are, but mostly it's in regards to pass protection, right? We understand the interior is absolutely elite, and even the tackles are very good in regards to pass protection, but we know run blocking is maybe the the weak point of these guys. How much do we have to say, all right, maybe this just isn't who they are up front as well. As great as they are, that would be their weakness, yeah, and there's probably a, a couple of parts of it. I mean, one certainly is that you have built an offensive line to protect Patrick Mahomes. And that's where most of your, your resources and your effort goes into it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that, I get a little bit of that. There's probably a little bit, too, of the fact that once you get to the regular season, there's no improving, really, your run game or your run blocking because, one, you're only – physical practicing once a week, especially for the Chiefs. At this point in the season, Thursday is your one padded practice. And you're not beating the crap out of each other that day. So you're not doing a lot of nine-on-seven, you know, run periods or anything crazy like that. And remember, you know, Isaiah Pacheco did nothing in training camp because of the injury. So all that pre- all that training camp work on getting timing down in the run game, none of it involved Isaiah Pacheco. So there's maybe a little bit of that rustiness there in connection between everybody, maybe a little bit of it. But I think that the bigger part of it, other than, you know, one, you have a line that's built to pass protect, the other part of it is that I don't know that the Chiefs now really have an identity when it comes to run blocking. Because, you know, in the past, they were a zone blocking team. And that was exclusively, for the most part, what they did. And they had running backs who were built for that. Now they kind of have an offensive line that mentality-wise and skill set-wise is really built more for man blocking and a running back that's probably built for that. But they, you know, they don't really know if they're a zone or a man team. And I, I think that's a little bit of what's holding them back. I mean, they just don't know what their identity is in the run game. So until they really make a commitment to it, I mean, and that's the other thing that's kind of been bizarre to me is that you know, at this point, we haven't even had one of those games yet where we've had one game where they ran the ball a lot. But we haven't gotten one of those periods where it's just, hey, we're going to run the ball 36 times for 185 yards. It hasn't happened yet. And usually the Chiefs are good for a couple of those this season. And this year, it's it's not been there. And, and you know, I mean, part of that is certainly, I think, the play calling. I mean, it's, I think everything's just been a little out of kilter this first half of the season. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest is our guest. In regards to the play calling, you know, I know folks want to say, which is funny because it's always always revisionist history. It's always rose-colored glasses because uh, now everyone looks back and says, yeah, Enemy was the greatest of all time, as if people forget that there was a whole subsect of fans who wanted him gone uh, for a while. But now all those same fans are like, no, he was the greatest, and, and Matt Nagy is an absolute bum, when in reality we all assume uh, that Andy Reid is 
is the dude who actually calls the plays. How much of this is a lot of new faces in new coaching situations? You know, uh, new wide receiver coach, new running back coach. Uh, Matt Nagy, obviously back. The enemy is gone. How much of it is this? That, I think, is a really good question, too, because, you know, we, we talked about that the Chiefs have had pretty consistent, you know, coaching staff and stable staff, but they have had enough turnover in the last couple of years that they don't have the old heads in there that they used to, and, and Eric Benny was a big part of that. I mean, even if, you know, it's still Andy Reid's show, Eric Benny had a really big voice, especially when he was offensive coordinator. He still had a voice when he was running back as coach, too. But now you've got a lot of young guys at some of those other spots. So, you know, when when the Chiefs have their game planning, it's not just, you know, Andy Reid and, and even, even Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator, not just two of them, you know, putting their heads together. It's with kind of a brain trust of the offensive staff. So David Girardi's in there. Joe Blameyer's part of that. Andy Heck gets brought in. And certainly, hey, Todd Pinkson. You know, it gets brought in. Wide receivers coach Connor Embry gets brought in. So everybody's got a little bit of a voice, but, you know, really it's kind of Reed, Nagy, uh, Girardi, Blameyer. You know, there's a couple of young guys and new faces in there. So I think there's a little bit of that. But the other thing, too, that I think has got to be part of the case is that Eric Benamy's voice isn't in there anymore. And there's not a, a similar voice. So there's not a guy probably in there, you know, outside of, I mean, Andy Heck likes to run the football, but he's not going to be a, you know, pounding your hand on the table kind of guy like Eric Benemy would be of saying, you know, we got to run this, you know, we got, we need to, we need to have this run package in, we need to do this, you know, his voice isn't there. So I think it's got to have a little bit of effect, you know, as far as the game planning goes, because now you got a lot of guys who are pass first guys in there and maybe just not enough of a run voice in that room. As we sit, we're sitting here on the bye week. Kansas City is 7-2. and two. They are the number one seed of the season we're to end today based on some of the tiebreaker rules with Baltimore atop the AFC. Everything looks good, right? Everything's great. But yet you look around the fan base, a lot of the media, you see some, some cracks in the foundation, right? A lot of it's the wide receivers. A lot of it is the disconnect between Mahomes and his guys. But, but, but I sit here and you look at the numbers. And I don't think it's up to you. And maybe there's a little bit of a slight overreaction here, okay? Let let me break this down. The Chiefs, offensively and defensively, one is ranked 12th and one is ranked 2nd. If you went into this season saying the offense was 2nd in the NFL, or yeah, the offense was 2nd and the defense was 12th, you would take that, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd still wonder what was wrong with the offense, but you would absolutely (laughs) take that. But now the offense is 12th and the defense is 2nd, and it seems like the world is collapsing. I broke it down in the first segment where the Chiefs have made a concerted effort over the past few seasons. All this draft capital, some of the bigger moves have been defensively. Obviously, Charles Amenehu, Drew Tranquil, but then you spent a first-rounder on uh, Karloftis, a first-rounder on FAU, a first-rounder on McDuffie, second, 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 and third, uh, you know, with some linebackers and a a, uh, safety with Brian Cook. They've spent some high draft capital trying to revamp this defense, whilst on the offensive side, they've let receivers go. Yeah, they've made a couple of moves. They brought in Juwan Taylor at right tackle. There's been a couple of second rounders, one on Rasheed Rice and one on um, Sky Moore, but it's not the same as been on the defense. So maybe, do you think we should have seen some of this regression offensively and progression defensively actually starting to happen in the works and we just weren't really paying attention to it? I think I broke his uh, his thought process there. Yeah. He didn't like that. Matt Derrick did not like that question. Matt Derrick said, 
How dare you, Sterling, say this is a defensive first team? He can't believe it. Uh, we'll be joined by Matt Derrick again in just a moment as we get him back on the line. Maybe if he doesn't tape my question uh, going forward. Um, but again, w- when you sit and look at what has been transpiring over the f- past few seasons, it has been a direct impact, a direct uh, correlation of the assets, the assets given to the defense, whilst maybe some of the lack of um, assets added to the offense. Matt, you back here. Back. Yeah, AT&T dropped my call just at the wrong time. They, they dropped like Sky Moore. Yeah. Do, oh, wow, that's harsh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Accurate, but harsh. I'm sorry. Uh, a great answer all lined up, and it's probably going to go just out the window now. Did you even that, did but... you even hear my question? Like, I, I, I rambled on for like three minutes, and at some point you were like, you know what, dude? I'm done. I heard the question. I think you were just getting ready to hand it off to me when the phone dropped. I was. I Correct, I was. So uh, forget everything I did to stall. Uh, floor is yours. Well, I mean, you make an excellent point. I mean, the defense, one, should be good because of the resources that they have put into it. So you've got that. And, yeah, we probably should have expected a bit of a regression because the Chiefs have let some players, you know, walk and let, let them go. They have invested, let's face it, almost nothing in the running back position, you know, for a few years. I mean, it's and, and it's maybe, it may be just be fortunate that you're getting the kind of production that you are from the running backs, considering that you've got seventh rounders and undrafted guys. And, well, the first know, rounder agents. worked out great, Matt. It's been a couple of years <laughs> since you invested a first round pick in that position, and you do still have it there. So I, I, I don't think to give you that. <laughs> And you and you put two first or two second round picks into your wide receiver room, so you know. But at the same time, you've put a lot more of your resources in on the defensive side, so it should make sense and a little bit of that. And you know, and yeah, I mean, they were banking a lot on the theory this year that Mahomes is going to elevate the room, and you know what? I mean, maybe he has. Maybe this is just you know what the room is. Um, you know, I mean, is there a number one receiver in that room right now at this point in their careers? No. You know, the veterans, we know who they are because their stats are on the back of their football card. And none of them, you know, have had 1,000-yard seasons, so you can't give them that label. you got a lot of young guys, and, and I think there is a future number one receiver in that room. I think it's Rasheed Rice. But he's not that at that point in his career yet. I you know, thought you were going to say Richie James. I, I, was, I was so convinced it was going to be either Richie James or, or an emergence of Cornell Powell. I was convinced. Hey, what has happened to Richie James is a whole other conversation that you and I need to have one day. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it, but he's not that yet, you know. So I, I get a, a little bit of the problems that they're having, but it, it's still perplexing. And especially, you know, looking at the, the, the Dolphins game in microcosm, yeah, you have put two second-round picks into the wide receiver group, and those guys combined for five targets on Sunday. Mm. I mean, you're and to me, especially Rice, that's the guy I need to see some some packages for. That's the guy that I need to see get a lot of work because he's right now being very productive, and you know he can only get better the more more work you give him. Yeah. And with what the Chiefs, I mean, that first drive was a was a as Andy Reid said, it was a piece of art. It was. And then it seemed like they just let the concept of that first drive get away from them completely. Because you get the ball out quick to Rasheed Rice and, and Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore, and you don't, you know, ask Mahomes to, to 
step back and scramble around for four or five seconds trying to find somebody, good things are going to happen. Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest is our guest right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Going back to that first drive, it was great. It was electric. It was vintage Kansas City Chiefs offense. My question is, those are scripted. Those are the scripted plays. And and this seems to be an issue. I don't know if it's the wide receivers, if it's the coaches, what it is. But I liken it to the NBA a lot. And I know people who have heard me say this are probably saying, Sterling, I've heard you say this 17 times, stop. But I think it's a it's a good point, so I want to bring it up again. Think of it like the NBA, right? Some guys are very good when it's scripted, when the play is designed for them. Other guys, let's just say James Harden, right? Very good one-on-one. Very good in the flow of the game. He doesn't need a play called because he'll get his. But other guys, well, they can't. They have to have their number called and the play designed for them. And it seems to me the Chiefs wide receivers obviously have to all be guys that the play needs to be designed for them because they're not great once the game starts going, the flow of the game. They're not great at separation. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong here. That's a little bit of what I'm seeing. Yeah, it could very well be that, and you're right. I mean, it could be part of just, hey, the plays that these guys practice the most during the week and the ones that are prepping the most, the ones in the script, the ones that they know they're going to call in specific situations. So that 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 does ring true to me, that that could be part of the situation. The other part of it is, too, that I think that it, you know, it is part of the play calling, and maybe it is part of the, the concept, because I – I think certainly looking at the, the first 15, 20 plays on Sunday, I think you can certainly say that the script looked like it was designed to, one, get the ball out quick to the, some of the playmakers in space, or get some throws underneath. You knew that the Dolphins were going to come out in you know, some variation of the zone that the Chiefs have been seeing. So it was designed to attack that and to kind of pick it apart a little bit. And then I think that, you know, the concept of it was that, hey, once you get the script in place, you're, you're going to get to soften up that zone a little bit and maybe the, the Dolphins will relax and then you can kind of do what you want to do as far as kind of pushing the ball downfield a little bit more. And the reality of it is no. I mean, the teams aren't bailing on that. They're not, they're not going to let one drive or even two drives, you know, get them away from doing what they think is going to work best against the Chiefs right now, which is play ton of zone. Don't blitz Mahomes, keep him in the pocket, and wait until this Chiefs offense makes a mistake because that's what they're doing right now. That's that's kind of their reputation around the league right now. So I think the teams are and defenses are just going to continue to do that until the Chiefs figure out how to beat that. And how do you beat zones? I mean, Mahomes said it a couple of weeks ago. You take what's there. You know, you yep. can't push the ball downfield. You just, you got to get the ball out quick. You got to find the open spaces. You got to work underneath and you got to keep doing it until, until defenses start breaking down. And because right now they're not. It, it's kind of like, again, if you want another basketball term, when you, when you see zone in, in football, the same way you see zone in basketball, you should be thinking, Oh, heck yes. Cause I know exactly how to beat this, but it gives trouble to a lot of young teams, right? It gives trouble to a lot of teams who may Maybe they don't know the soft spots in the zone. You know, and that's what I think we're seeing with this Chiefs team is the only receiver I have seen who understands the soft spot is Rasheed Rice, which for me is very impressive considering he's a rookie, that he already understands that. But if he's the only guy, it makes it that much more difficult to, to see guys and have guys get open. Not only this, it feels like the Chiefs, we kept saying going into this year, like, look at all these receivers that do something different. Look what they bring to the table. But outside of MVS and Justin Watson, they're all slot guys. 
They're all guys that are better when they play in the slot. Well, turns out only one dude can play in the slot. So when Sky Moore's on the outside, is doing a disservice to him because that's not what he does best. So Rasheed Rice is on the inside. Well, that means McCole Harmon's probably not going to be on the field. That means uh, Kadarius Tony is not doing what he does best. It's going to be tough for him to get on the field. So maybe we should have saw this coming as well. This team, while yes, they have guys that can do some things differently, they all excel for the most part in the slot. Yeah, and that's becoming kind of increasing when you just look at the, the snap counts and everything, you know, that it's, there's, there's basically one position, it seems like, for Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, McCole Hartman, and, you know, and, and Justin Watson, MVS, and Rasheed Rice take the other two spots, and that's assuming that there are two spots, because maybe the, the, you're, you're not always, I mean, the Chiefs are going to be in some 12 and 13 person that with multiple tight ends sometimes, yeah. so... You know, I mean, and Rasheed Rice had the most snaps of any receiver on Sunday. And I mean, I think that's going to continue. I mean, that's the guy that I think needs to get the most work. But now he just needs to have some specific packages designed for him. You know, there's, and the Chiefs are really pretty big on that. I mean, you know, there's usually, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of packages from Travis Kelsey every single week. I mean, you know that the ball's supposed to be going to him. Now, it didn't against the Dolphins because they were double and triple teaming him all day because they actually paid attention to him and, you know, knew that that was the guy you had to stop. But that makes it even worse to me that nobody else was getting open because it was single coverage zone for everybody else and they weren't beating it. And that's, that's a problem. Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest, is our guest right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I want to talk about Richie James. Since you brought that up, and it seemed like you were very enthusiastic to talk about him, what are your thoughts? What's going on with Richie James? I really don't get it. I mean, obviously, the the injury was one thing. So, you know, you, you can't fault that. Uh, you know, I, I thought there was a chance that he might come back last week because he was a full participant. And obviously, there was the report about possibly trading him and him being available for the deadline. So it seemed like he was healthy. Now, they have a roster spot available, too. I mean, if they want to give him more time, that makes sense. But to me, it was still, you know, pre-injury about how Richie James was being used. Because I even go back to the training camp, and it was like, wait a minute. I mean, this guy won based on the film from last year and yes. what you saw with the Giants. Yes. And with my own eye at training camp. Yes. He was one of the better receivers. I mean, it was pretty clear. So I just never really understood why he wasn't getting more work, why he wasn't getting more targets. And especially because it seems like right now, and maybe the injury took place at the wrong time and really kind of took away from what could have been maybe his time to shine. I mean, it just seems like the kind of stuff, as far as just working underneath and the short passing game, would be great for him. And Because I saw him do some things on short passes and jukes and training camp that was like, this guy could take a, you know, a five yard out and turn it into 75 yards in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll see it. Maybe, maybe he's not picking things up. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just not clicking, but that's the guy that if he's healthy, I'd like to see more work for too, because it just, I think everybody else has gotten a shot. Yeah. So to me, now it's about, Giving, giving reps to guys who either need a chance to prove themselves or have proven themselves. And for me, that's Rasheed Rice, and, and I want to see what Richie James can do, too. Well, the thing is, Richie James proved himself last year with the Giants. The Giants were a train wreck, and he was their wide receiver one towards the end of the year and into the playoffs. They won a playoff game, and he was the reason why at wide receiver. No one stepped up, but then 
He stepped up. He was the only Giants wide receiver to actually get separation. And you're right. He thrives in those underneath routes. It seems like he would thrive in whatever is going on, how the defenses are playing the Chiefs right now. I just don't understand. Also, pardon me if I'm being fully transparent, Matt. You know how high I was on on, uh, Richie James before he signed here in Kansas City. And then he signed here. I was so excited. I thought, finally, I did something here. Matt, I, I I got it right and then we don't see him, so it's a double whammy to me. I and I still think you got it right. I mean, let's let's see what happens. I I, I have to think at some point in the second half of the season we're going to see him, and I mean maybe he'll get something done. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Matt, I like to play a game called This or That. You and I have played that multiple times. I know Briscoe is going to be very upset that I'm playing it with you instead of him. But quite frankly, Matt, I think you deserve it more than he does. Oh, I think I definitely do. Yeah. All right, so this or that. More yards at the end of the season, Justin Watson or MVS? Ooh, that is a toughie. Uh, I, I'm going to say that I think the cream will eventually rise. And, yes, I do realize in this scenario I, I'm calling MVS the cream. <laughs> um, he, he, I think, will rise. I, I'm going to go with MVS. Uh, Rolling Stones or the Who? <sighs> Man, I... I I'm going to go Stones. Uh, it's a, I think it's the right call, but yeah. the song Squeeze Box by The Who really gets me going. Uh, well, they've got some classics, there's no doubt. Uh, over under 750 yards for Rasheed Rice. Ooh, man, I really, really want to be bullish and say over. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm going, I'm going to believe and say over. Yeah, right now he's on pace for around 725-ish to 750s, right there. But I think he'll get a little bit more as the season goes on. And, and last week, come on, that was the outlier. He's been, he's been doing well last week. Again, the only, there's only two targets. That's the German uh, effect right there. Ger- the German uh, move over there, it hurt him too much. We'll, we'll see him get back. Uh, does Tyreek Hill's stash make you think he'd be a great auto body shop guy? <laughs> you know what? That he does. I mean, and, and because he's a talker too, so he also feels like the kind of guy that could definitely upsell you and upcharge you on a lot of things. Like I am picturing him just with a bush light in one hand, smoking a cigarette, and he's like, "Hey, Carl, hey, your your, your carburetor's wrong," and then he's going to try and upsell you some some windshields too, like, like like windshield wipers. That's what that stash screams to me. Yeah, the, the that that stash that look does scream that you are, you're going into to Tyreek's shop, you know, for what you think is just going to be a simple repair, and and you're walking out with like twenty five hundred dollars of work, yeah. work, work, work work done. Well, unless he fumbles the paperwork. Uh, more yards into the year, Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony? Oh, uh, Sky. I think. I mean, mm. I I hate to say it, but uh, my my analogy has been that you know Kadarius Tony's a Maserati. And the, the bad thing about a Maserati is that it's in the shop most of the time. I mean, he's had like four injuries so far this season. I just I just don't know if the guy can stay healthy. Well, maybe they should take that Maserati to the Tyreek Hill body shop. You know, uh, have we that's exactly that? yeah. the case. Yeah. Who knows what could happen there? Uh, Richie, Richie James plays one or more snap for the Chiefs by season's end. Oh, I'm, I, I definitely have to take the over. I mean, yeah. you can't just walk away from that try. I mean, I... I mean, even if things have just gone completely south for some reason, I mean, I, I, I still got to see him on the field and get him some work. I mean, I don't think you just walk away from Richie James. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Matt Derrick loves power ballads. It's actually what brought Matt Derrick and myself together. It was not just Chiefs football, not just sports, but our love, our passion of power ballads. So headed for a heartbreak by Winger or Heaven by Warrant? 
Oh man, that is a tough one. Well, it's a it's it's a challenging one. But it's not a tough one because Warrant almost always wins with me. Yeah, and Heaven is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Okay, Heaven or where the Down Boys go? No, still Heaven. Okay. Well, I, I take you. even like I. I mean, Down Boys is, is is okay, but I. I mean, I I I still even like take like Cherry Pie. Or wow. So bold. That's a bold take. Uh, all right, McDuffie ends up getting All Pro or Pro Bowl honors this year. This year, not he, career. This year, he should. The only the only thing I worry about McDuffie and getting the acknowledgement that he needs is that so many times those awards are based on interception, and mm. he's just not an interception guy. But he's a turnover guy because he creates so many fumbles, and he's becoming a shutdown corner. So I I. I don't know, and he's so good against the run too, and that's something he's, that they just don't—they don't credit corners for doing. So he should. I, I fear that he's going to be a little bit like LJ too, and that I yeah. think LJ is underrated because he's such a good all-around corner and he's so physical and he plays the run well. But Sneed this year has been terrific as well, and nobody around the league is talking about it. Yeah, Trent McStuffy—that's what he is in the run game. Uh, Dust in the wind by Kansas or nobody's fool by Cinderella. Oh wow! Uh, I mean, for me, that's that's a Cinderella one. Cinderella yeah. is such a, a a great power ballad group. Yeah, I know that about you, and I know you're a huge Cinderella guy. I, I've tried to go through because we've done this multiple times. And I'm trying to go and pick songs we've not done before. I don't think we've done this last one. Final one: "Love Hurts" by Nazareth or "Lights" by Journey. Oh, I'm going. I'm going old school on this one. I'm going Nazareth. Yes, I mean that's the right that's, answer. That's a, that's a classic. It was the right answer, Matt. I'm proud yeah. of you. That, that was the right answer. You did a great job there. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Matt Derrick, Chiefs Digest. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Matt Derrick. Make sure you go to ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, I know the second you get off, you're playing some power ballads. You know, I was I was driving around earlier, and I was think, and I had I had my my iPhone, and I was just flipping through some tunes, and I was very disappointed that I didn't have a power ballad that came up. So, <laughs> it's the thoughts you and I have when we take a look at the Chiefs wide receivers. There you go. Uh, we will take a quick break. Come back. Homestretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Kansas. Head coach Bill Self has signed an amended five-year contract set to be the uh, highest-paid coach in college basketball. Sources tell ESPN it's basically a lifetime deal. Self will make more than $13 million in compensation for the 2023-24 season and $53 mil over the next five years. Kyle? I think we are on the wrong line of business. I should have gone into into college basketball coaching, man. Seriously, we should have become head coaches. I mean, there's nothing holding us back. X's and O's, then you got to go get the Jimmy and Joes. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. We, we could do this. Certainly not our lack of experience playing at a high level either. Hey, come on now. Sophomore year high school basketball at Blue <laughs> Valley North. Are you kidding me? Are you Are you kidding me? I made it one year. You my my men's league basketball at Hy-Vee Arena still? Are you ser- are you knocking that Kyle? No. 
Did, I'll, we can go back and play what I just said. Clearly, I just said we have experience playing at a high level. <laughs> Me playing in West Philly? Come on now. Guess what? I wasn't born and raised there like, like Will Smith, but I also didn't have to get sent out because they respected the game. Okay? They respected the game. Some more news in the coaching world as Craig Council says he wanted a new challenge. And that's why he took the Chicago Cubs job. Uh, either that or becoming the highest paid head coach in baseball, right? I, either one, right? Either you wanted the challenge or the bleep ton of money. Which one do you think it was? It's like Juju when he signed in New England. It's it's going to be a challenge this year, and I get to play for Bill. Like, you just had Andy. <laughs> no, it's the money. I love that. Like, just just be honest. Don't, or don't even be honest at all. Just don't say don't say you wanted a new challenge. You did a great job in Milwaukee. You were applauded. And then, oh, all of a sudden, oh, a record-setting five-year, $40 million deal gets offered to you with a different team? Yeah, just wanted a new professional challenge. That, that's what it was, a new professional challenge. Good for Craig Council. And again, once again, uh, I think we are in the wrong line of business. Uh, Matt Derrick just texted me and asked, Is Boulevard of Broken Dreams a power ballad by Green Day? I think yes. I think it's a modern-day power ballad. I, I think you got to count it. You know, at some point, it stops being new, and it's now almost classic. Like, it's not classic rock from the 80s, but like... You're getting close. That was 20 years ago. I'm counting that. I think you count it. It's a count. Matt Derrick, if you're still listening, we're counting it. Uh, Other news around the NFL. The Rams signed quarterback Carson Wentz to play backup quarterback uh, since Matt Stafford is perpetually injured, right? Um, Wild, man. I am shocked that Carson Wentz is still getting work. What happened to Stetson Bennett? The better. What happened to Stetson Ben? I I don't know. That dude seems to be in trouble a lot. I, I have no idea, actually. I have zero idea what happened with Stetson Bennett. Uh, Brett Ripien was in there uh, last week who proceeded to complete 46.4% of passes, 130 yards in an interception, and then was waived today. Um, yeah, not seeing a whole bunch on good old Stetson B. Look good in that uh, championship game for Georgia. I'll give him that. I'd give him a shot. You know what you're getting with Carson Wentz. You're getting what Brett Ripien gave you. 130 in an interception. How is Carson Wentz still getting work? Seriously, if we were as bad at our jobs as Carson Wentz is at quarterbacking, we're getting replaced. And we're unemployed. Like, he was really good. For like 12 games, what was that 2018, uh, oh 17? Point is, it's been five years at a minimum. Yeah. And folks are still sitting here like, I can fix him. You right? Play, you play at an MVP level for five months. And that's how we still get in work today. It, it, literally, it, it's absurd. It's like, well, you know, maybe we did. Maybe that's how we still have our job. We did really good radio for like five months, and then they're like, we're, we're living off of our past accomplishments. Maybe. maybe. Are we the Carson Wentz of this show? I hope not. 
We have yet to peak, okay? We're we're the we're the Mahomes of of this show. Come on. But I am shocked that Carson Wentz still getting work in the NFL. You know what? Good for him. Good for his agent. Can we talk about his agent for a second? Carson Wentz has uh, been alleged to not be the best, uh, the best in the locker room. Maybe portrayed as a me first guy. He's a guy who has, quite frankly, again, not been good in over five years. Whose last stop in Indy was a utter, utter and total disaster. The only reason they didn't make the playoffs was because he collapsed against the, at the time, horrendous Jaguars. And yet here we are in the year 2023. Carson Wentz still getting work. We will take a quick break, come back, talk a lot more Chiefs with Daniel Harms of RGR Football Homestretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. There is a pickleball tournament that was going on on the TV up here. And you might say, okay, why is that a big deal? Who cares? Dirk Nowitzki was in it, and uh, Scotty Scheffler was playing. But let me just put this and set the stage for you. You will be shocked when you look up on your TV, and all of a sudden you see a seven-footer playing pickleball. Wild. That dude can cover a lot of ground. I was going to say, that seems like an unfair advantage. He is the pickleball court, although I will say it's very difficult for him to bend down. Yeah. Yeah, we saw how he ran at the very end of his career. Now, put on the pickleball court, trying to bend over. Uh, might be a little of a struggle. But, yeah, that was wild. I just can't believe I saw I look up, and it's Dirk Nowitzki playing pickleball. Uh, we are joined now, though, because we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the NFL and the Chiefs with Daniel Harms of RGR Football. Harms, how you doing? I'm doing good. It was kind of shocking to hear Dirk Davisky playing pickleball with Scotty Scheffler, of all people. But, you know, um, I love that. That's fantastic. It's good for the sport and the growth of the sport. But I'm doing good. You know what? Shrink the game. Okay? Same thing in golf. (laughs) I'm team shrink the game. Because now we have too many people, and I can't find a tee time or an open court. You know what? So I'm I'm team shrink the game. No, I totally get that. It's it's, – we want to be able to go out to a course or go out and play some pickleball whenever we want to. And now everyone and their mother is going out to do it, right? Just yeah. Let us let us play. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It doesn't age-related, nothing at all. It's just like even like some, some old guys. You know, if you're taking too long on the court, sorry. Come on now. <laughs> Pick it up a little bit. Score some, score some points or hit that drive and hit it. I'm playing quick. I don't take a practice swing. I'm going out and whacking the thing. Okay. If you I can are. get done in three hours, that is my goal. Okay, my back locks up after three and a half. I got to get done before then. You're the exact reason why I get so nervous playing on a course with anybody behind me. I'm bad already, <laughs> so like I, if I see someone behind me, I go even faster, and everything I do is just worse. Uh, again, Daniel Harms is our guest. We are going to do a little fun game here. Let's do some Chiefs superlatives. Okay, we'll do some some midseason awards. Uh, let's start off with the most valuable player, but we're going to do the offense. We're going to split it up. Okay, from offense and defense, who's been the most valuable player? offensively for the Chiefs at the halfway point? Oh, that's a, I mean, 
<laughs> the only answer is, I guess there's, there's a couple of them, but the one guy that I think that's been kind of impact, the most impactful and forced defenses to adjust is Travis Kelsey. He's been the one consistent, I guess, in terms of forcing, again, defenses to take notice. And the reason that I don't have Patrick Mahomes as the, the MVP right now of the of the midseason of the Chiefs is just because he's, he's not playing his best football. And the offense is still good. It, it's still one of the top 10 offenses in the NFL. Uh, but I think that if Travis Kelsey is not on this team, we are looking at a vastly, vastly worse offense. And I'm not sure what Patrick Mahomes could do in his current state to elevate that. So having Travis Kelsey out there has drawn multiple defenders at times. The touchdown to Jerick McKinnon on Sunday was he – he drew three defenders his way, opened an entire lane for McKinnon to score that touchdown. He's done that multiple times. He even did it on the first should-have-been touchdown to Justin Watson. He beat the corner to the outside and vertical up the field and forced the safety to come down, opening that middle back into the end zone for Justin Watson who ended up dropping the ball. So, um, yeah, I think it's Travis Kelsey right now. Yeah, I think Kelsey is the correct answer in my book as well, but I do find it very funny. Uh, if you look at most uh, sports books, Mahomes is the favorite to win MVP. And you, and you mentioned he's not had a great year. Uh, receivers aside, even if they were great receivers, he still struggled compared to what he typically does. But how wild is this? In a down year for Patrick Mahomes, he is still the favorite to win MVP. It's, it's, it's actually ridiculous, but it also shows just how much defenses this year have dominated in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, should be the favorite based off of everything that I've seen to this point. But the fact that Mahomes is does tell you exactly what we're looking at. The Chiefs are the front runners in the AFC. They're seven and two, and Mahomes has still been a good quarterback. He's had more turnovers than I think we all would like, and he would like, and some obviously down games against the Broncos and this the early game against the uh, the Jaguars, and even to, to some to some length throughout the rest of the season against the Jets too. So, yeah, it's. It's ridiculous. It's, it's remarkable that we get to kind of sit back and see that even a down year for an offense that we've seen over the over the few past few years be as explosive and dynamic as they are when they go through some struggles. Patrick Mahomes still right there in the MVP conversation. It's absolutely insane. Uh, all right, Daniel, let's switch gears and talk about the defense. Your most valuable players so far on the defense for the Kansas City Chiefs. There's a lot of different players that you could name for this yeah. one. Um, the ways that they've adapted, I think there's really been one consistent, and it's a 1A, 1B kind of thing, but I would say it's Trent McDuffie to this point. Yes. And because Chris Jones is still being Chris Jones, and there's a lot of talk over the last like two days about, well, where's Chris Jones? Why isn't he doing enough? Well, guys, he's getting double and triple teamed every single play, every single one. No, no offensive line wants to deal with Chris Jones in the backfield, but what's, what's that doing? It's allowing George Karloftis, Mike Dana, Charles Amenehue, all these players to come in and get one-on-one situations. But also it's allowing Trent McDuffie to come in and blitz off the edge and do whatever he wants to do. The four forced fumbles this season for him, he's not getting interceptions, but he's been all over the place doing that, being as aggressive and impressive in the run game, coming downhill, consistently getting tackles for loss 
you know, blitzes. He's got sacks this year, too. He's doing it all for the Chiefs defense, and he's been able to unlock their entire secondary. Jerry Sneed, who was their slot, their slot outside guy previously, is now exclusively essentially an outside corner. And what has allowed him to do that is Trent McDuffie now floating from outside to the slot whenever they need him to do that. Also playing a little bit of pseudo-linebacker at times, like we saw with Chamari Connor on Sunday, with Legereus Sneed previously before that. So what he's been able to do, how impactful he's been in coverage, in blitzing, in forcing turnovers, and also getting after it in the run game is what, in my opinion, allows the defense to be so exclusively really great on the back end, and he's unlocked that for this team. Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, is our guest right here. Home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Uh, rookie of the year, I was going to ask, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Rasheed Rice. Uh, br- Rasheed Rice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, breakout of the year. Who, who's been your breakout candidate, offense or defense, for the Kansas City Chiefs so far? It's been Willie Gay. Willie Gay has yeah. played his best football of his entire Chiefs career Lately, and this season, he was always trying to piece it together. He had, like, flashes, and you saw some of the great coverage plays. He never really got the run defense and identifying those, those rushing lanes and being able to get downhill and identify those, uh, those concepts quickly enough. He was always a step behind. This year, he's not. He's playing loose. He's playing fast. When you're a linebacker who's as fast and as, as athletic as Willie Gay, once you figure out the mental side of football, you move even faster downhill. And we saw that exclusively on Sunday, the play where he got into the backfield and forced a six-yard loss on Salvin Ahmed before he could even turn a corner. He couldn't do anything because Willie Gay was in his breadbasket just getting after it. And what he's done, again, in coverage, being able to right now kind of be the, the, main, the best linebacker in Kansas City. I don't think it's really a question right now. I think Drew Tranquil has been good. And I think before, you know, Nick Bolton came out, he was having a, a good season. I think Willie Gay is your best linebacker this season. And again, when we talk about how these players have unlocked their respective roles, the Chiefs in the nickel defense have not been very good historically at stopping the run. They have been much better this season. Obviously, their their rush defense is still the worst part about them, but they're astronomically better than they have been in the past, part, in, in large part because Willie Gay has really figured out how to find these offensive concepts, see what the offense is doing, whether it's pulling guys, whether it's you know slanting offensive linemen in a zone concept, but he's recognizing that, getting downhill quickly, and helping everybody out. So for me, it's Willie Gay Jr. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. We're, we're three for three in agreement so far. <laughs> the only other guy I was thinking was Carl Loftus, but with Willie Gay Jr., uh, yeah. it's also the contract year continues to mm-hmm. be undefeated. Uh, bust sure. of the year. Who's been the biggest bust of the year? There's a, there's a couple guys you could choose from, too. Um, this is a little, oh. a little hard here. Who do you have for the bust of the year? It's it's not really hard for me. And it's, as, di- as difficult it is for me to say this, it is Sky Moore. Um, just the off just the offseason hype from the Kansas City Chiefs staff, from Patrick Mahomes, working with him in, in Texas. And then, the honestly, the emergence of Rishi Rice in the slot has taken away a lot of Sky Moore's ability to be productive because I think those are the routes that he'd be good on as well. But he, is take, he had to take on a role playing on the outside, and that's not his strength. 
He's not a guy that you want playing predominantly on the outside. And he's been unable to step up as a guy lately when the wide receivers have been struggling. You need to have some ability to go to one of your young second round picks and, and say, you, you got to step up here. You, there's, there's also been, he's like the only receiver that has had a huge disconnect with Patrick Mahomes on multiple occasions where he's in the wrong spot or Patrick doesn't expect him to be doing what he's doing. You know, he's had some, some drops and key moments, obviously against the, the Broncos that drop in the end zone. Uh, and then we saw against the, the Dolphins, his, uh, his snap share dramatically decreased. And that's kind of the thing, the theme of it for me is that Sky Moore has been, again, I do think, I still think he's a good player. I think he's going to be able to be a a semi-productive player. It's going to be kind of rough to figure out what he's going to do the rest of this season going forward. Um, But he's been one of the guys I was looking forward to seeing this year the most and get the ball thrown his way a lot. And that just hasn't happened. So for me, it's unfortunately Sky Moore is the best of the halfway point for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, you and I are four for four in agreement so far. I, I've seen you know some thoughts of Kadarius Tony. Uh, you know all the wide receiver one talk. You yeah. know there were some thoughts of uh, Justin Ross, uh, which I think is really hard when you're an undrafted guy. Yeah. You know sure. with, with all the injuries, I I, I can't get there. Um, yeah, of this year, I think it's Sky because I had such high expectations for him. You and I were both very high uh, on him. I thought he was going to be just an absolute merchant in the slot, just like Deontay Johnson, great getting separation, able to get open, uh, good versus man or zone, but with better hands, and we have not seen that. Again, I'm not saying he won't ever be that, but what we've seen so far has been disappointing. You, you know, you mentioned it when you were talking, saying you know you don't know what he's going to be, but you still have some faith that he can become a useful player. It's just so hard, and I'm glad you brought mm-hmm. this up as well, because he is a guy who would be better off in the slot, but he's having to play outside. Do you think Rasheed Rice will eventually transition to the outside, or is he just going to be that power slot, the new wave of the NFL, where he's going to be the absolute you know, perfect guy going forward to be the power slot? Well, lately, we've seen a kind of a flip-flop with his, his snaps. He's playing on the outside a little bit more lately, and also he ran some vertical routes from the outside mm-hmm. against the Dolphins, but when you have Rasheed Rice and MBS and Justin Watson playing the vast majority of your snaps at wide receiver, that limits what you can do from a route perspective. So Rasheed Rice kind of has to be the guy running routes over the middle of the field when those three are on the field because Justin Watson's best routes are intermediate to deep, and BS's best routes are intermediate to deep. And that's kind of been the problem, in my opinion, is that they're very predictable with now, if that's going to be their three receiver sets going forward, that's a predictable uh, place to be in. And Rasheed Rice is it seems like they've really focused on getting him into the slot early when they showed when he showed that he could be an explosive player in space that kind of flipped to, that kind of flipped with their expectations of the season going to be in in large part because I, again you and I both thought and we all, I think it kind of makes sense this guy more makes a better player out of the slot Darius Tony makes a better yeah. full-time player out of the slot but even then, they were using him on the outside and throwing it down the field to him last season, and we haven't seen that. So I'm not entirely sure if he's going to come out in the second half of the season after the bye and Rasheed Rice will have a more complete route tree. I don't see that happening a ton. So I still think that if it ends up being Sky Moore playing a little bit more during the second half of the season, it will still be on the outside. And, and I'll give him some credit. He's done a, a better job 
than I expected him to do against some actually really good corners like you know, Patrick Sertan and, and things like that. He's had a kind of a brutal stretch to open yeah. the, the first half of the season playing on the outside. So I, I just don't think Rasheed Rice is going to come in the second half and start playing more on the outside and getting open more on the outside. You might see more vertical routes sprinkled in for sure, though. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Horms, film analyst for RGR Football, is our guest. Let's do some grades, okay? Some some grades of some of the off-season moves. Uh, let's start with Drew Tranquil. What would you give the A, a to F uh, Drew Tranquil signing? What What is this for you? It's an absolute A. It's a home run of a, of a signing because you've had the Nick Bolton injury. Now, if he's not injured, you might have a little bit of a different grade, but he would have forced himself onto the field anyway. So I think at worst we're talking about a B if, if Nick Bolton stays healthy. The simple fact that he's not, and he slides right in there as your, as your, your Mike linebacker, and you don't miss a beat, essentially. You have some missed tackles from, from Drew every now and then. Run defense doesn't bend his, his, the name of his, his, the hallmark of his game, but he bolts up this season. He's gotten better in run defense for sure, and he's helped solidify that linebacker crew when injuries have come to hit them. So it's an absolute home run of an A for me. Yeah, that was such a good, astute signing. Even, again, if Nick Bolton doesn't get hurt, you still have a lot of depth at linebacker and, again, a guy who's going to force his way onto the field. Uh, The release of Frank Clark. The release of Clark the Shark. I mean, that's a... I'm still. I'm going to go ahead and give it like a B plus. Uh, Frank Clark at this point is a practice squad player. He's not playing snaps for the Seattle Seahawks. And the one, I think, the one reunion attempt that would have happened in Kansas City would have been for a practice squad slot, and he did not want that. So we're talking about a player who would have been fun to have on the roster just as a, a locker room guy. Uh, but they have been much better this season without him playing. Um, 50% of the snaps like the, like he was last year with the impact that um, George Colossus has taken a step forward. Even Mike Dana, he's played better than Frank Clark did last year. Uh, so they've had much better impact at the defensive end position without him there. So not bringing him back worked out pretty well for him. The Juwan Taylor signing, the big signing, right? This was a huge yeah. one. 20 mil a year, uh, four years just a little grade so far on Juwan Taylor. Yeah, so factoring in the the contract, I think that's this is oh, you have to. to you have, you have to. to. <laughs> you have to. So yeah, it's a B minus for me, and that's still a, a pretty good passable grade right now. In the large part because of the contract on top of the early penalties in the season. That's my biggest thing. Lately, he's been good. He's been a very good player. So we're going to see that grade go up as the season goes along with this this play style continues on the penalties take a step back but the early season penalties with the contract bring it down a bit for me so right now it's at a b minus trending towards uh, a b and a b plus depending on how the season goes with penalties yeah it's tough for me because i think he has done as you mentioned a lot better since the start of the season he's getting a lot more comfortable the penalties have obviously been down but then you look at the contract and, and i don't know if just good is enough Right, I'm not. I'm, it's a sunk cost at this point. He's here, he's there, uh, and you expect some improvement from him as the season goes on. He's a young cat, obviously, but you paid him like Lane Johnson. He's not Lane Johnson. 
My, my concern is less with him and more with the payment of a right tackle and how it handicaps you going forward. Like, would you have rather had a lesser right tackle but potential money to spend on a wide receiver? Now, obviously, this is revisionist history right now. It's very easy to do 2020, but that's just a serious thought I'm having right now. Would you rather have had a lesser right tackle but more money left over to try and bring in a more um, established wide receiver? So the the problem with this revisionist history is we're talking about guys like what DeAndre Hopkins coming in potentially, but he would have been extremely expensive. Um, any of the lesser guys, what maybe Jacoby Myers? Yeah, Jacoby Myers is, is, is a name that comes to mind. Yeah, that you're thinking of, but also, do we see the emergence of Rasheed Rice if Jacoby Myers is in Kansas City this year? Does he play more on the outside? There's there's kind of a lot that goes into it. I'm I'm totally fine with the contract for Juwan Taylor. I understand it's a lot of money, but right tackle and left tackle should be making relatively the same amount of money, in my opinion, in today's NFL. It's not like he's seeing lesser players on the right side than he is on the left. He handled Aiden Hutchinson. He's he's handled guys. He handled Joey Bosa last year, who he's going to have to you know see again this uh, later this year, and he handled pretty well in their first meeting. So at the end of the day, um, I'm totally fine with putting the money into a young still has room to grow in any hex system, um, right tackle. Uh, the Mike Edwards signing, where are you on the Mike Edwards signing? Yeah, right now we're, we're, we're firmly at a B. Um, it's starting to get up there with how they've used him lately, and now they've kind of had to, you know, Spags loves his, his dime packages. He loves using five, six DBs whenever he can, and Mike Edwards lately has been a guy who not only is going to make great plays, like tossing the ball, to Brian Cook for a, after a fumble recovery for a touchdown to him, but he makes plays on the ball in the air. He, he's been that ball hawk kind of player um, back in the back end for him, but also able to come into the box a little bit, play play a little bit of robber if they need to. He's been very versatile for their defense, and he's going to earn himself probably a contract somewhere else, not in Kansas City after this year. So it, it's a good B for them because, again, it helps unlock the rest of that defense for them. Last one for you, Donovan Smith. Where have you been at with Donovan Smith? Obviously not a ton of money oh. given out to a left tackle. He's been serviceable. No. Obviously some of the penalties are starting to climb up there now, which, quite frankly, I, I said when they signed him, don't just look at last Last year, look at his entire career. He's been pretty solid, but the penalties have always been there. Yeah, it's because of the contract. It's a C. It's he hasn't been very good, but also you haven't paid very much for him. And I think he is trending up right now. He had a, he had a pretty decent game against the Dolphins. Stunts really destroyed the, the Chiefs tackles and, and, and really the entire offensive line in this game. They had a tough time against Stunts. Also, Donovan Smith didn't see much of Jalen Phillips. Uh, Jawan Taylor did, and that made a big difference. So $3 million contract for one year as a left tackle, who, again, has started every single game for them this season. It's a C for me. Mm. Uh, C is about fair. That, that's where I think I give it when I went through my list as well. Uh, again, he's been fine, y- yeah. y- y- you know, but that's that's what you paid for. You paid for fine. You didn't pay for yep. elite. You didn't pay for Larry Tunzel. Exactly. You paid for fine. Uh, again, Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, is our guest right here. Sports Radio 810 WHB. I want to talk to you about the short yardage situation, the mental block that it seems like the Chiefs have. You know, uh, they're so... 
I don't want to say electric because they've been down this year, but they've been very effective for the most part. You know, first, second down, even third and longs to an extent. But then they get into third and short, and they just freeze. What is the issue here? Because I was talking to Matt Derrick about this, and I thought I brought up a pretty valid point here. While it's very easy to blame Andy Reid, I'm sure they're calling two plays, right? Once you get into the huddle right there in these situations, you have one as probably a pass. The second one's probably a run. You're going to can one and then run the other one. You know, that third and one, there was a massive gap. They did not expect the Chiefs to run at all. Why didn't Mahomes at the line of scrimmage just say, all right, screw it, let's audible and just give the ball to Pacheco? I'm just finding some sort of disconnect here, and I don't understand it. I don't think that Mahomes has the freedom to change plays at the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't think he does that, I'll be honest with you. I don't don't see that happening. I think that he, you know, changes how the, the look of some of the things, some things, but if he had the freedom to do so in that situation, when you see nobody in the A gap, that should be something that happens unless Patrick just doesn't recognize that, which again, I find extremely hard to believe. Um, so the, their struggles are kind of twofold. They don't have confidence in their run game. And this year they're what 31st in rush, EPA per play or whatever it is, that rushing success rate is something like that. And they're not, they haven't been very good. And then defenses again, aren't even expecting them to sneak the ball, which when you don't at least present a challenge in that department, they don't have to put anybody in the a gap, um, at least right up there. And that allows them to spread their defense out a little bit more. And everyone kind of expects Patrick to throw the football, at least the majority. And again, I think that they don't trust their run game, and I've, I've said as much. But I also have no problems with them putting the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands in those situations. But if you're going to put it in his hand, fully put it in his hand, and allow him to make checks, and, and like and you're like talking about, change some plays at the line of scrimmage if you can. My one issue with the play call on the, third, the, 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 the most obvious third and one was if we look at the season as a whole, I've watched Moulton. We've all watched a lot of football this year. And those flat route concepts, we've seen it at the goal line. And we've, I've seen it multiple teams get run. And I've seen teams just pass off every little flat route that's intended to be like a, um, like a pick play. And that didn't work in that situation, throwing it to Travis Kelsey, because one, it's Travis Kelsey, and it's that same pick play where defenses are just passing off the guy going to the flat. It's not – that was an unprepared – play in my opinion like they, they didn't scout that enough because that is something that has not worked for the vast majority of the season for a lot of different teams and especially in that situation going to Travis Kelsey in that one situation it's just like okay we know what's happening here you're gonna throw the ball you're gonna throw it to Travis on third and short so I would like to see them have the ability again to give Patrick a little bit more freedom to change plays to actually change them and to whatever is maybe he has that and I'm just you know out of my element which is which is totally possible or, or just actually, you're out of your element Donnie <laughs> yeah I mean it's possible I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be wrong doing this is gonna happen I really hope you understood harms I really hope you understood that stood that reference and you didn't think I was calling you Donnie instead of Daniel oh I, I knew I knew you weren't calling me Donnie I, I didn't understand the reference but uh, Lebowski it's big Lebowski come it's been on a long time since you I've and I bowled together we yeah, bowled I, together dude it's been a long time since I've seen the movie very long time 
I, I've actually been thinking about watching it recently. Funny, funny enough, but yeah, I just I haven't gotten around to it. I got no time right now. Watching movies is like the last thing I have time to do with as much film as I watch and, and, and content I put out lately. So. I apologize for my ignorance. Uh, slightly accepted. Before I let you go, give <laughs> us some reason for optimism for the offense after the bye. Give us some reason that you think this this offense could turn around. Currently, they sit 12th in points per game, scoring 23.1, 7th in yards per game at 368.7. Give us a reason for optimism here. Well, one, I think Patrick Mahomes is going to play better um, after the bye. I think he's going to play better. I think he understands that he needs to play a little bit better. But also, what is one thing that we have seen from the Chiefs team? And I know it's been on the defensive side of the ball, but what's one thing that after the bye, they always seem to, to get better, right? Going down, once October clears, it's getting into November, and then December rolls around, and the Chiefs form into the team that they're going to be in the postseason. The team that we see in the first month, two months, is never really the team that we see at the end of the season. So this bye week comes at an excellent time for them. They just beat the Miami Dolphins with a defensive performance, and it will allow them to really get into the, the, the film and see what they do well, see how they can continue to call some of the plays that worked, they can move some of their players around and get them into better positions to succeed and not be so predictable with the wide receiver personnel that they, that, that they throw out there. And throughout, throughout the season, it's, it's week to week. So you go from one week playing to scouting for the next team, right? It's not what do we do well. It's you, you watch the film on Monday and you're immediately preparing for the next week. Well, now they can watch a lot of what they've done and go through that, comb through it, and work on little teeny tiny parts like their run game where you have a missed block here and then the play goes for two yards. Or if you have just – you miss this hole. If you hit this hole here instead of forcing it to the, to the right or forcing it to the outside, you get a five-yard gain instead of a zero-yard gain. Little things like that, little details they can work on this bye week. And, you know, they're going to take a lot of time off here. But going into next week, they're going to have a lot more of an understanding of what they do well. And I think that one thing Andy Reid always does well is adjust after the bye for his offense and get things going. So I'm confident that their offense is going to look better post-bye than it did about 80% of the time pre-bye. And I think everyone should feel confident in and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to figure that out going forward into the uh, the latter part of the season. If Harms is confident, you should be confident. Make sure you follow Daniel on at Twitter at InHarmsWay19. Absolute great bite-sized stuff he puts. Uh, great just breakdowns, great video reviews, as well as on the RGR Football YouTube channel as well. Daniel Harms, always a pleasure. Always, man. Glad to be back. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. The home stretch. Sports Radio 810 WHB. <laughs> Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. And as always, Nick is presented by El Bandido Yankee Tequila, the best tequila out there. So smooth it's criminal. Make sure you go to your local Hy-Vee, pick up some El Bandido Yankee Tequila. You will not regret it. You will love it. It is great for celebrating Chiefs victories and gives you something to do over the Chiefs. Bye. Nick, how are you doing? El Bandito will steal your palate and your heart. 
It's, it's true. It's still mine. <laughs> when I had it for the first time, Nick, Nick, you know me. I'm not a tequila guy. First time I had it, I go, oh, wow, this is delicious. This is good. And speaking of good, that was the start to the Chiefs-Miami game, right? That first drive was incredible, a vintage Chiefs start. And then it slowed down. Let's talk about that first drive first here, Nick. What were your takeaways? Did you think the Chiefs' offense was back when you saw that? Well, uh, I certainly thought this is what we're used to. I mean, I, I wrote down. I mean, it passed to uh, MVS, um, number 11. Passed to Travis for four yards. Passed to 84. Passed to 24. Sky Moore. Passed to Rasheed Rice. Touchdown. We had the one that, you know, was we thought was a touchdown but wasn't. But we passed to nine different receivers. We only used Kadarius Toney. 12% of the snaps, and he did have one key catch where he showed, you know, he's big, but he's also so elusive, which, of course, gave us a, a big contribution to winning the Super Bowl last year, but he's been pretty much missing. So that's the biggest question. When they are shutting down Travis Kelsey, which teams are doing now by triple teaming, it's not fair to Travis. He's the best darn tight end. He set an all-time record in the game, but I think he was three for 14. So when that's happening, that means you've got, you've got to have your guys that are singled up get open, yet they aren't open. And our offensive line is doing a very good job. Juwan Taylor, after three, four games initially, with everybody talking about him lining up and some penalties, our offensive line has done extraordinarily well. But that opening drive looked great. I have to say, now the contrast is we're up 21 nothing, 14 points on offense, one on a remarkable play, just incredible, that is, to me, underscoring Trent McDuffie's Pro Bowl season is stripping, mm-hmm. of all people, the <laughs> beloved Tariq Hill. And, you know, just just a beautiful thing to watch. So we're up 21 nothing, then we're shut out in the second half. And to me, emblematic of that. Yes, Patrick had a fumble, but it's pretty tough to not when you're getting hit all over the place to, to be perfect. Other than that, he had, I think, a, a pretty good game. But we, we have this recurring issue with not having faith, or at least not showing the faith we have in what many people say is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and absolutely uh, the best interior three. So if that's the case, why can't we just run the ball on third and one, as we could have done. Actually, it was less than one. It was about two feet. It was about 22 inches. And, you know, instead, we tried something else. And uh, in the end, Patrick threw the ball away, which, of course, then meant that the, the clock stopped, giving Miami another 30, 40 seconds that they wouldn't have had. So we have a way, in a way, maybe it's our confidence, a deep psychological confidence that we're just going to find a way, which we did, but now let's go back to the last play of the game where they're right there ready to tie and they get this, thankfully for us, horrendous snap and we sacked them. So, you know, and the, and the play before that, which was a misread Tua said of by himself where he threw it way short and to the left with the receiver. So, you know, we lucked out, um, but we are the best team in the AFC, and we're not even playing that well. Now, the defense may be the best defense in the National Football League right now and is definitely the best defense that we've had in the uh, Andy Reid era. So there are lots of good things to think about. 
But um, I will reserve one last comment. I mean, there are lots of things to comment. Chris Jones has not been as productive, but he is our superstar on defense, along with Trent McDuffie and Willie Gay having a big game, forcing a fumble that they recovered and a a sack which was called back. But I'm just going to ask this. Nicole Hardman, you fumbled the ball. I love you, buddy. You're a great athlete. We're happy you're back. You fumbled the ball on the four-yard line. Now, Frank Gans, our coach, most people would say the greatest special teams coach in the history of the NFL. Frank would always say you just don't handle the ball inside the 10. But you don't handle it inside the 5 for sure, and you don't handle it on the one-yard line, which McColl did, with four minutes left. Thank God he didn't fumble it. But if he lets it bounce, there's a good chance it goes in the end zone. Now we have the ball on the 20. So here's a little bit of information for you. Uh, I played in John Elway's golf tournament many years ago, and I had a couple different quarterbacks. My friend Bubby Brister, who was back up to John Elway, they said the same thing. Arrowhead Stadium, inside the 15-yard line, it's really hard to hear. And so for us to get the ball not at the 4-yard line, 5-yard line, because McCall decided to, to, to catch it with four minutes left and not fumble it, thank God. But to get it at the 20 actually helps with execution as you're trying to burn out the clock. So just a couple things. There are always going to be things that you worry about with this team. We make it hard on ourselves. But I want to see that third and fourth thing. I mean, I, I love our trick plays. Andy's the most innovative coach. With all due respect to the innovative Miami Dolphins, I think we proved, thanks to our defense, that uh, we had some answers for them. And so lots of great things about being 7-2 and two, despite all the challenges going into the bye week. And you know what? I've got to mention this again. The best kicker in the NFL this season is not – even though he's the best kicker maybe of all time, Justin Tucker, it's Harrison Butker right now. He has been just money, gold bullion money, Harrison Butker. Yeah, he's been absolutely nails. Again, Chiefs all-time kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. I, I want to briefly go back to what you said about McCall Hardman, fair catching, getting the ball on the four right there. Part of me wants to yell at McCall, right? Part of me is sitting here saying this this has to be something you're you're taught. Obviously, you're taught in high school and college. It's the 10, maybe it's the 8. you know. But Steve Sp- or, uh, Dave Tobe has been very... Uh, honest and upfront about the aggressiveness, saying, you know what, even sometimes on the five, we don't mind if they catch it as long as they catch it. Is this more of a Dave Tobe philosophy than it is to pin on McCole Hardman? Because it hasn't just been Hardman. It's been a plethora of different return men in the Dave Tobe era who seemingly make poor decisions when returning punts. Is this more on the special teams coach than on Hardman itself? I love Dave Tobe. He's one of the best three or four special teams coaches in the National Football League. When you have the, t- the game all but one late in the game, um, i got to put that on Nicole. You've got to have the common sense. And, uh, you know, the rest of the game, being aggressive, uh, okay, those are decisions you make. You look at the statistics and the chances of a fumble. Um, what happens, of course, when you're very deep in your territory, it's one thing to fumble the ball on your 50-yard line. But to fumble it on your four-yard line now, the team has happened with Denver – the week before, they go in and score, right? So uh, I love Dave Tobe. He is a great guy, a great coach, and for the most part, we, we, look, we've got the best kicker and punter in the NFL. Boom! And we've got good coverage. But uh, those are things that are risks you just don't have to take. 
As the Chiefs sit here at 7-2, and two, we mentioned the defense. Right now, they are second in the NFL in points per game given up just behind the Baltimore Ravens. Again, the Chiefs defense has been absolutely electric, but the offense, as we mentioned, has struggled mightily for most of the season. After coming off a big win over Miami, they're flying back from Germany. Is this a good time for the bye? I mean, I, I don't know your thoughts here, whether it's better to be early, yes. middle, or late. Is this a yes. good time? It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, after nine weeks, um, we we absolutely need it. We can heal up the little injuries. I mean, let's also just say gratitude. I mean, we've got a quarterback that can play with a high ankle sprain. We got Travis playing through injuries. I mean, how can a tight end take as many hits as he does right over the middle? The definition of the hit zone and still keep playing and never get injured. It's just extraordinary. And the rest, you know, overall we've been reasonably injury free. Nick Bolton, we we miss him, but Drew Tranquil has been a fantastic fill in for him. So the defense, every team has its injuries. The defense is just so coordinated. So let's let's have a uh, halfway bye week, um, you know, award, EBY, El Bandito Award to Steve Spagnolo, first of all, because this defense is usually doing well by the end of the year, but we've been doing well from day one. And, you know, we're holding teams to 14, 15 points a game. And now if we can just find that, it's Rasheed Rice, it's uh, maybe it's McCall Hardman. It's Kadarius Tony if we give him a chance, and he obviously had has overcome what happened when he missed all the training camp and had that horrendous first game. But he's talented. And then you look at the other guys. I see Watson dropping a couple, but he's you know and Noah Gray at tight end. You know there is some production, and it is um, worrisome only because when we have to connect on a pass. Our guys are really not getting open. I mean, you see Patrick back there for four and five seconds. I mean, you know, it's not like what you saw the other night with poor old, I mean, last night with the New York Jets getting pounded by Nick Bosta and, and um, you know, Khalil the, Mack. Uh, other Will Mack, side. yeah. Will Mack. I mean, they just crushed him both directions. Our offensive line did fine against San Diego a couple weeks ago, and so we're very lucky for that. And if that's the case, and if Patrick has has time and stability, he should have guys that are open. My thing has been that I believe Patrick is so accurate, even though they're trying to say he's not as accurate as Tua, if you hold another tight end in or another blocker in and you lose one receiver, but you've got that much more protection and stability – Patrick's going to get the ball perfectly on time to any number of receivers. We just need two receivers, frankly, with him when he has time to throw. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. In regards to the separation or lack thereof, as you've mentioned, in regards to the Chiefs' wide receivers, how can they work on this during the season? Is there still reason for optimism in regards to who the Chiefs currently have getting open as the season progresses? Because obviously the Chiefs stayed pat at the trade deadline. The only move was for Cole Hardman a few days before. You know, what do you see going forward from this from this group here? 
We're, we're heading towards a civil war in Kansas City on Monday night, November 20th, against the Eagles. Eagles have a bye week as well. So both teams are going to be looking at what they can do because they know, of course, they faced each other in the Super Bowl, that this could be another Super Bowl matchup. This is when separation, it's not about raw speed. It's about quickness. That's why Tariq Hill usually, although he was jammed at the, at the line of scrimmage, which made all the difference, also wears you out, right? But if you think about Edelman, and these receivers that are not that big, right? Cooper Cup, Steve Largent, my friend who held for my game-winning field goal in the Pro Bowl, thank you, many years ago, you know, ran a 4.840. Duran Cherry, by the way, ran a 4.840. But they knew how to be where they needed to be and to burst and get where they needed to get. And that separation is created when you suddenly explode. You suddenly get that speed to a different level, and you have that quick two-yard um, target that is open. That's not happening enough, and um, I don't know, but this is exactly the week to work on it. This is why I love Patrick, because he's going to work with his guys, his receivers. I don't think there's a personality issue with our receivers. I don't think there's a work ethic issue. It's just about being focused and figuring out what are you going to do when you're covered, just like Travis is, and you have that split second to break off the original design pattern in a way that, that Patrick can uh, predict and throw the ball early and get it to you for that split second when you're extra open. G- going back to the short yardage woes that you mentioned a little bit earlier on, is this a case of overthinking? Is there a situation here where, where Andy Reid is, we, we know uh, he's an offensive genius, maybe the best offensive-minded head coach in NFL history, but it seems like in these third and ones, fourth and ones, I don't know if he, 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 he overthinks it. He, he tries to do too much. We know they're not going to do the Patrick Mahomes QB sneak. We understand that because of the knee. Whether we agree or disagree, that seemingly is something that's been put in place. But I'm just sitting here going, hand the ball to Isaiah Pacheco. Why are we doing so much eye candy, so much motion? It, to me, right. it doesn't make a ton yep. of sense. Is this a case of overthinking? It's also predictable now. It's, they expect it now. You know what? I'm just going to have a little fun now because I've been, you know, putting together our mid-season bi-week analysis. You know what I want? I want to see, we don't have the refrigerator, but we've got Chris Jones. I want to see Chris Jones back there in the backfield on third and one. Get your nose low, buddy, and good luck anybody stopping him. So, you know, let's have some fun with it because we have, if you've noticed, there's no, as my friend Chris Berman went to Brown, I went to Dartmouth, we always had a lot of fun. He'd do the rumbling, stumbling for the linemen. They don't rumble and stumble anymore, do they? They run like gazelles. They run sub-five-second 40s, and they run incredibly well and athletically. That's because the training's so much better now. So let's put Chris Jones back there 95 and dare them to stop 320 pounds of muscle, saliva, Blood, sweat, and tears, baby. Yeah, and have Derek Naughty as the fullback blocking for him. There we go. <laughs> Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry again. Let's do a little little, little mid season, right? El Benito Yankee uh, tequila. Let, let, let's do MVP so far. Not Mahomes, not Travis Kelsey. Can't use those two guys in your mind. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I'm I'm going with Trent McDuffie. Uh, I, I I just think. He has reminded me of Albert Lewis uh, and his athleticism 
it, I mean, that is such a difficult position. When you get beat, everybody sees it. So they're going to remember it. And he becomes the shutdown corner. So what happens is quarterback now his read suddenly, oh, I can't throw there. So it simplifies, you know, what we have to do. It makes it easier for us because we know most of the time they're not going to try it in that direction. I mean, it really is, to just to nail it down, Tariq Hill had a record over 1,000 yards in eight games. That's averaging 128 yards, 125 yards, 128 yards, whatever it was, per game. In the end, I think he had 62 yards and, and six catches and a fumble that, you know, was the difference in the game, thanks to Trent McDuffie. So, you know, Trent McDuffie is my MVP for this part of the season. Um, Patrick Mahomes is vintage Patrick Mahomes, and there's a little bit, I think, of that, hey, I've got to be ready for when it really matters. I've got to be ready for every game, but I'm going to get better and better. That's what's great about this team, like a fine wine. Starting in about week 14, 13, you start seeing things coming together even more so as long as we stay healthy. Travis is going to do, going to be Travis and do his greatness. We need him. <laughs> He's just... The ESP relationship he has with Patrick is awesome. And then let's give some credit to George. Some also, you know, MVPs part two, George Karloftis, um, you know, Chanel, uh, you know, guys that are just, Legereus Sneed. I mean, just, you know, just the cohesion of playing together. And then I want to give the, the Miss Congeniality Award, if you will, uh, to Juwan Taylor for hanging in there, brother. And coming through, and our offensive line is, I think, clearly better than it was last year. So, And then there's also Isaiah Pacheco. There's nobody that is a human piston uh, more than Isaiah Pacheco. I saw him when I uh, broadcast on CBS Sports, uh, the Hula Bowl, a couple years ago. This guy has the heart of a champion, uh, the motor of a champion, and we're lucky to have him. I wish to God we had Christian Akori. Christian, come back, just for those third one <laughs> situations. But other than that, you know, we've got a lot of heroes on this team, and the most important thing, mark my words, is we don't have any guys dividing the team. We stick together. Our team, this team, sticks together. They play as a team, they win as a team, and they lose as a team. And they came back last week, and that first drive showed something Let's just hope it continues. And with Andy Reid's record coming back from a bye week, I think November 20th, Monday night, is going to be a beautiful thing to watch. And if you want to have something to celebrate Monday night, or at least to calm your nerves, make sure you go out to your local Hy-Vee and pick up the best tequila out there, out there El Benito Yankee Tequila. It is phenomenal. Again, so smooth. It doesn't have that brutal bite that a lot of tequilas have. It is absolutely incredible. Chief Hall of Fame kicker, Nick Lowry. Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. High V right now with El Bandito stands for high victory. You're going to be victorious by choosing going to High V to pick up El Bandito Yankee tequila. It's a $100 tequila that you can get for 40 bucks. It's a hell of a deal. Uh, we will take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB.